Hello and welcome to another episode of the Scouting Report podcast. I am your host, Brandon Ramsey, and I am here to bring you everything that you need to know ahead of this evening's game against the Florida Gators. Um, Florida comes into today's game with a 5-2 record. They're 2-1 so far in the SEC, and quite simply, it's been a tumultuous season um, through no fault of their own, really, um, down there in the swamp, but... Florida began the year on the coronavirus list. Uh, they had to miss three games that have all been canceled, um, including a marquee game out um, at that Bubbleville event in um, on the East Coast. They were supposed to play UMass Lowell, but then they were going to play Virginia, uh, which obviously would have been a, a marquee television game early in the season. Um, and then they also had a game at Oklahoma canceled. So those were the three games to begin their season that all got wiped out due to them being under quarantine. Um, however, they were able to get back on the court in early December. Um, they started off with wins over Army, Boston College, and Stetson um, before their trip um, to Tallahassee to take on um, in-state rival Florida State. Um, they lost that game at Florida State, 83-71. Uh, however, the most notable thing that happened in that game was the, you know, just truly scary situation with their star player, Keontae Johnson. Um, if you were watching the game, uh, you know, either way, surely you've seen everything by now. Um, you know, just a horrific scene when he um, just completely collapsed face first on the court um, during the game and um, obviously had to be rushed to the hospital. He spent some time um, in a medically induced coma, I believe. He was. Um, in critical condition for a while. Um, luckily, he has you know, made a pretty decent recovery. I, I, I don't see how you can call it anything besides that because he's actually on the sidelines now. Um, he's not playing this year, and we don't know if he'll ever play basketball again. Um, however, that's obviously you know the least of anybody's worries. We're just all you know very happy and continuing to pray that. Um, he makes a full recovery just for his life and that he can live a long and healthy life. And if he can ever get back on the court, that's an added bonus. But he's spending the rest of this season as a student assistant coach for Mike White, which is awesome. It's great to see him back on the sidelines. And, um, you know, it, 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 was a, it was just a tragic and very, very scary situation to watch a guy go down like that on the court. And the, the reaction of his players, you know, is something that if you, if you saw it, you know, you're not going to unsee that for a while. Um, so, like I said, going into this game, first and foremost, continued prayers with, with Keontae Johnson and his family and, 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 you know, his teammates, coaching staff, everybody that was affected by that because it's, it has to be hard to continue playing basketball. Because, um, I mean, that, that they even finished that game against Florida State, and I, I can't even imagine, um, you know, what was on the minds of his teammates and coaching staff um, going through that that situation. Um, But again, they did end up losing that game in Tallahassee to Florida state, 83 to 71. Um, And then they postponed their next four games, all of which were going to be wins. I mean, they North Florida, Florida Atlantic, Florida A&M, James Madison. Um, But after that incident with Keontae Johnson, they decided to take some time away from the court, which is totally understandable. So they had, a week's worth of games that they decided to postpone for the time being. Um, now that we're into conference play, I don't really see those games getting made up. 
Um, so, you know, Florida's down seven games already this year. <clears throat> um, but once they got into conference play, they picked up a big win at Vanderbilt, 91-72. to 72. Um, I watched that game on film. They, they controlled the game most of the way. Vanderbilt cut it to maybe seven or eight midway through the second half, um, but it was never really in doubt. Um, and then they had a very impressive win, 83-79 over LSU. Um, you know, LSU is being led by freshman Cam Thomas right now, who is the leading scorer in in the conference. He can um, put up some points. He played relatively well against, um, against Florida, but um, they were just a better team that day, and that was a very impressive win, you know, especially when you consider the fact that they're missing probably the favorite to win the SEC Player of the Year in Keontae Johnson. Um, he was my pick to win Conference Player of the Year. I even picked him as an All-American. Um, so finding a way to play without him in such a short time period, and especially finding a way to play without a guy, you know, when it went down the way that it did, you know, it's not like he just, you know, blew out his Achilles or broke his arm. Like, you know, it, it was a tragic, scary situation that I'm sure continues to impact people's mental state. So to be able to bounce back and beat a hot, a, a top tier SEC team in LSU right away in conference play uh, was, was very impressive. Then they turned around on Tuesday, lost 86, 71 to Alabama. Um, this was a game that Alabama just kind of put it to him a little bit. Um, but like I said, Florida overall seven, or five and two, excuse me, two and one in the SEC off to a pretty good start this season. Both of their losses are two good teams on the road. Um, and then they've beaten the teams that they're supposed to beat um, at home and, and including a, a, a very quality win against LSU. Um, Obviously, Kentucky is coming off of two straight conference wins against Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Um, we all know that neither one of those are, you know, the most exciting wins. However, I I always harp on the fact that any win is a good win, um, especially when you're when you were in the situation that Kentucky was. Um, but that's especially true in conference play. You know, it, it's just all about racking up wins. There's no such thing as a bad win or an ugly win, um, especially when you're on the road, you just escape out of there in conference play and, and, and put the W in the in the column if you can. So that's going to be the goal down in the swamp today for Kentucky is to keep this streak going. It, it, it will be nice, um, regardless of his impact on the court, it will be nice having uh, Keon Brooks back today. Uh, it, it'll provide just a little bit of additional depth um, for the Wildcats, will get them a leader um, and, and more of a vocal leader out there on the court. Um, I, I certainly, and I think it was uh, Jay Lucas in the press conference yesterday that was kind of tempering expectations, not only about how much he would play, but even how effective Keon will be able to be because he hasn't been able to go live a lot in practice yet. So this will be, you know, he's still ramping up to live action. I, it sounds like he's been able to do a lot of conditioning stuff, so I think he's in shape. Um, but th- there's still a difference between being in cardiovascular shape and being in game shape, just in terms of taking some hits, the physicality of boxing out, going to rebound, playing defense, those sort of things. So I, I wouldn't expect him to play more than, you know, certainly 10 to 15 minutes a game, and he'll probably get a rotation in each half. If, he, if, it, if it goes well, then he might pick up a an extra rotation, but, you know, I I, I wouldn't expect him to go out there and light the world on fire 
just yet, but still, like I said, especially in the absence of Terrence Clark, where you're missing a starter and a guy that contributes double figures per game, anytime that you can add a SEC caliber um, basketball player to your roster um, is a very good thing for Kentucky right now. So just having his veteran presence out there and a guy that knows the plan and will execute at a high level uh, will be big to beat, a, to beat a good team like Florida. So to talk a little more about what Florida is going to do, um, the last couple of years, especially last season, they were running a lot of kind of hybrid Princeton chin type action offensively. And that was sort of what they did. Um, they still set a lot of ball screens out of their chin stuff, and, and they still will do that. Um, but like, what they did was run that Princeton style offense. This year, that doesn't seem to be so much of the case. Um, I didn't really go back and watch much of their games pre-Keontae Johnson leaving the lineup just because once you lose the SEC Player of the Year, things are obviously going to be different. So I didn't even really bother watching things prior to to his incident. So I've watched their three SEC games, and they're going to mix in some some chin action – Throughout the game, they they've been running it a couple times a half, pretty much per game. Uh, so that, that that's something that Kentucky's gonna have to be ready for. However, otherwise they're really just spreading the floor and setting high ball screens for Trey Mann, um, and, and then Tyree Appleby when he um, when he comes in as well. But um, Trey Mann has really taken a leap this year. I've I've been really impressed with the way that he's playing um, as their point guard. And he's a he's a dynamic playmaker with the ball. He can he can shoot it from the outside. He's really really quick, um, getting to the rim. And he's also six five, so he has some length to be able to finish by you and around you as he gets to the as he gets to the basket. Um, he's also averaging um, just over four assists per game, so he's doing a good job of making plays for others. Um, but they're just going to get him in a lot of different ball screen actions. Um, a, a lot of that starting with just a a simple high middle ball screen. Um, they'll set some flat screens too, where uh, their four man will even just kind of turn and face the basket and sort of just be in the way, try to set a little butt screen. Um, and then they'll seal off with, with Colin Castleton as their five man at the rim. Um, but they're just trying to spread the floor. Like I said, um, allow guys to make some plays in space um, and, and get Trey man going downhill, kick it out to some shooters and, and allow some other guys to make some plays on the dribble drive. Um, but outside of that whole high by high ball screening action, like I said, they are still doing a lot of chin stuff. Uh, maybe not a lot, but they're doing some chin stuff. It's, it, you're going to see it this evening. Um, that's an offense. It's very hard to, to talk through. So once again, just make sure to check out my scouting report on Kentucky sports I'll also have some clips up on my Twitter feed throughout the day at B Ramsey KSR, where I'll break down um, their, their Princeton action a little bit as well. So you can just visually see it and and know what to expect uh, come five o'clock when the ball gets tipped off this evening. Um, The other thing that they will do is run some things out of a horns alignment. Um, That's something we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, but once again, a horns alignment, generally you're going to have a point guard with the ball um, up top around half court. You're going to put your two forwards at the elbows and then your two guards are going to be deep into the corners. Um, and, and, and that's their horns alignment. A couple different things they'll do out of this. Um, they'll just set a normal horns ball screen. So both of those forwards will come up higher 
um, and Trey Mann or whoever their point guard is at the, at the time, Tyree Appleby, those guys will be able to pick a side and just play off of that ball screen. Uh, whichever side they come off of, generally that um, that forward um, and the ball screener will roll to the basket. And then the opposite big man will just pop kind of behind the play towards the top of the key. And they'll just play off of that. Again, it's just a it's just an action to get them some spacing and some movement um, and, and allow their guys to um, attack downhill. And then also they'll set a horns diagonal screen. So out of the same alignment, they'll, they'll dribble enter it to a wing. So generally, you know, let's say Trey Mann has the ball. He'll, he'll dribble over to the right wing. That'll trigger the ball side corner guy to go set a diagonal screen for the opposite forward who will then flash down to the block off of that back screen looking for the ball there. Then they will screen the screener off of that as well to try to get a look for somebody like Noah Locke or Scotty Lewis coming off of that down screen on the screen, the screener towards the top of the key um, for a shot or an opportunity to to drive it, especially with Scotty Lewis. Um, So that's really what they're doing offensively. It's, it's not as complicated as, as it has been in a lot of years. Um, It's kind of a, a fun Twitter and podcast trope, I guess, in the SEC to, to, to make fun of Mike White. Um, mostly, you know, it, it's undeniable that in his tenure, um, his teams have probably underachieved a little bit in terms of win-loss record. They've had a lot of talent the last couple of years, and it hasn't necessarily translated to, you know, certainly SEC championships or deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Um, however, I, I do, I, I have always enjoyed watching his teams play. I think they do good stuff offensively. Um, maybe at times, especially in the past, running some of their Princeton stuff and, and, and just calling as many set plays as they did, it might have held them back a little bit just because they were so talented that kind of putting their guys in a box like that might have not been the best um, overall for their team. But I do think Mike White is a good coach, especially offensively. And I, I think you're going to get some opportunities to see that today now that they've gone to a little bit more simplistic offense and just spread it out letting their guys play, um, I think you'll see that that he's um, done what's best for his team at this point, especially in the absence of of potential Conference Player of the Year, Keontae Johnson. Um, But to go into their personnel a little bit more deeply here, um, like I said, their point guard right now is number one, Trey Mann. He's a 6'5", 190-pound sophomore. Uh, right now, he is averaging 14.6 points, um, 5.6 rebounds, and just over four assists per game. Um, he is their leading scorer at this point now in the absence of Keontae Johnson. Um, Trey Mann is shooting 45% from the field and 44.8% from the free throw or from the three-point arc. Excuse me. Um, so, as you can see, he's just as good from three as he is from two. He's not a high-volume three-point shooter. He's shot. Um, he's he's 13 for 29. So he's He's making about two threes a game and shooting about four of them per game. Obviously, that's pretty darn good, but it's not like he's, um, you know, putting up seven, eight threes a game. He's going to shoot the ones that he knows he's supposed to shoot. He's going to shoot them when he's open. Um, a little bit more catch and shoot than he is off of the dribble. So when when another guy is able to make a play and kick it out to him, he really likes to shoot those. But he will shoot them um, off the ball screen. You have to go over the ball screens uh, because he will shoot them behind if you go under. Um, if you don't pick him up far enough out, like you, you need to be guarding him two, three, four steps beyond the 
uh, three-point line. It's it's scary because he's so quick and he can get by you, but you do have to um, guard against the three and go ahead and pick him up. And then when that ball screen comes, you know, just give it a good hedge. Let's try to get him um, going back away from the basket. And again, what, let's be willing to switch. I would rather keep a guy on a guy and stay between Trey Mann and the basket and also be there to take away the three um, than to have to really fight over the screen come downhill and almost bring two guys to him as we recover and then let him make plays off of that. So let's be willing to switch when we need to, but yeah, he's a, he's a quick guard. Um, he's going to look to score it. Um, just make him score with you between him and the basket as much as possible. Get your hands up and contest those threes, preferably take away the threes. And then as he drives it, just be big, get your hands up and make him score over you. I'm playing the two right now is, um, Noah Locke, he's number 10. He's a 6'3", 203-pound junior. Um, Noah Locke is a shooter. Um, it's, it's what he's always been, and he's a very, very dangerous three-point shooter. He's 13 for 35. Right now from three, that's 42.9%. Just over half of his shots have been threes this season. I mean, he's shooting a better percentage from three than he is from two. So this is a guy that you need to be thinking about getting off the three-point line. You know, we don't want to just fly by him because, again, he's a good college basketball player. He's averaging 10 points a game, um, two rebounds. Um, he only has three assists in the whole season. So that shows you, you know, this is a guy that wants to catch and shoot. If he can't catch and shoot, yeah, he'll shoot a pull-up jumper, and that's something that he's really good at. But he's not dynamic going to the basket making plays for others. This is a guy that wants to shoot the basketball on the catch. Um, so we, we have to chase him off of screens. We have to be tight. At all times, he will shoot it deep from deep, so get out there and take him away. Um, you need to tighten up as the ball comes towards you. That's something that we did not do a good job of, um, especially guarding um, that Stute guy, number 10, Miles Stute from Vanderbilt. We let him get hot. I think he was three for four in the first half because we weren't tight enough to him um, to take away his three-point attempts. And that's what we wanted to do with Noah Locke. We need to take away his attempts. Um I, I don't even want to see him going 0 for 5 in the first half. I want to see him going 0 for 1, 0 for 2. That's how we will know if we're doing a good job. Because if he goes 0 for 5, you're playing with fire. Because he's going to shoot 5 more in the second half, and he might make 3 or 4 of them. That's no good. We need to be tight on him at all times. Tighten up to him as the ball is driven towards you. Chase him off of screens. If you get clipped, just switch it. Because we need to keep a guy on him at all times. Absolutely no help off of him. And then what I was starting to say when we first started breaking him down was that you, you need to take away his threes, but you don't want to, you know, in, in college basketball, it's hard to run guys off of the three-point line. I don't want to see us flying at him because all he's going to do, think about that shot that um, Dante Allen hit the other night where he gave a little shot fake guy, flies by him, and it was like he was in the park. He took a dribble, slow kind of sidestep. I mean, he, it took him six seconds to get that shot off, and then he nailed it. Because if you just run at a guy, that's what they're going to do. Or they're going to dribble into a pull-up jumper. The college basketball players in the SEC are too good to fly at them. So we need to still have choppy feet, high hands. But we also shouldn't need to have too much choppy feet because we're, we, we don't ever want to be far enough away from him to hardly be in a closeout situation. But if you do find yourself scrambling or whatever, we're still closing out with choppy feet. You're just closing out all the way to him and making him dribble. Because he doesn't, that's not what he wants to do. Yeah, he'll put it on the ground, one or two dribbles to a pull-up, um, but that's a heck of a lot better. And we'll have a chance to contest that as compared to him getting off a catch-and-shoot three. So once he catches the ball, if you're not close enough 
All right, if he's not dribbling it, you're not close enough. That's what you need to be thinking about when guarding number 10, Noah Locke. Moving on to number 23, Scotty Lewis. Scotty Lewis is a 6'5", 189-pound sophomore guard. This is a guy that had a chance to go to the NBA draft as a freshman, um, but decided to come back. It was actually um, somewhat surprising that he came back. He probably would have been a first-round draft pick, but he is a elite, elite athlete. That is that is the main thing to know about Scotty Lewis. On both ends of the floor, he makes things happen due to his incredible athleticism. Um, on the offensive end, he's he's more of a driver than a shooter, but he is seven for sixteen from the from three point range. So you don't want to just leave him wide open. However, when you're closing out to him, or when you're guarding him, you're thinking more about him getting to the basket off of the dribble especially with the right-hand drive, then you are worried about him catching and shooting um, or shooting from the perimeter in general. Like if, if you have to pick one, if you have to either guard against the drive or allow him to shoot, you would rather him shoot it from the outside, but you still want to have a, have a hand up, be within a step of him to give it a good contest because he is a good shooter, and that's what makes him so, um, so dynamic on the offensive end. He's averaging 12.3 points per game. Uh, 4.6 rebounds and over two assists per game. Um, so we, we, we got to have disciplined closeouts against him to ke- keep him in front of you, make him score over you, um, and, and, and not just get blown by uh, with him driving to the basket. So no right-hand drives for him, no layups for him. We need to stay between him and the basket. Um, also, you, you got to get back in transition. They really like to throw it ahead to him in transition because he's so quick and athletic. Um, he can take off to the rim uh, from pretty far away, and he can get there in a hurry. So we need to do a good job of, of finding him in, tra- in transition, not letting him hurt us there. On the defensive end, he's, he has 11 steals and 11 blocks uh, through seven games. Um, so just make sure when you're, guard- or when you're being guarded by him, you got to be strong with the ball. He's going to try to steal it from you. He's going to jump the passing lanes and try to get out for an easy dunk. Um, so just be aware of where he's at on the court when you're throwing passes because he is aggressive. He'll gamble a little bit, but he's athletic enough that he, it can pay off. Um, and then as you're driving to the basket, uh, play off of two feet, use some shot fakes, try to get him um, to jump in the air. Um, that way you you negate his shot blocking ability. But, um, you know, even at 6'5", and as, as a guard, he's their leading shot blocker um, this season. And then we have number four, Anthony Deruji. Um, he is a transfer from Louisiana Tech. Um, he is 6'7", 220-pound forward. He's a junior, um, and he is averaging 5.7 points and four rebounds per game this season. Um, he came out against Alabama um, the other night, and he was one for three from three. Um, he's, he's pretty aggressive offensively. He shot the ball 11 times. Um, but and he, he just had a game that I forget if it was against LSU or Vanderbilt, but I think he was two for five from three. Um, so he's starting to shoot more threes, although he's only four for 14 so far this season. But it's something that he will do. His shot really looks pretty good. So I do want to close out to him with high hands and try to take away the, the obvious catch and shoots. Um, you can be a little more aggressive closing out to him because he's not – he, he can drive it right, and he will drive it right. He's, he's very versatile offensively, but he's not, you know, he, he doesn't have that burst that Scotty Lewis 
is going to have off of the dribble. So I think you can close out to him to take away the catch and shoot threes and then still give yourself time to bounce back and then be ready to guard against that right-hand drive. But he's a physical driver. Um, he can score it around the basket also. If he does happen to catch it down there, he's going to want to score with his right hand over his left shoulder. But he's much more of a face-up four-man um, looking to, to shoot some jumpers. He'll face you up and try to drive it right um, and, and use his athleticism and strength to kind of get around you. Um, but like I said, in the in the post, definitely do um, wall up on that left shoulder. Um, also got to box him out. He's averaging almost two offensive rebounds per game. So just be physical with him when the shot goes up and and, and get ready to, to finish the possession with a rebound. Lastly, we have number 12, Colin Castleton. He is a transfer from Michigan. He's a junior, 6'11", 231 pounds. And he has had a great season so far for the Florida Gators um, this season. He's averaging 11.9 points, 5.3 rebounds. Um, about two and a half of those rebounds are coming on the offensive end. And he is shooting 69.4% from the field. So he's ex- incredibly efficient when they throw the ball to him. Um, he will ball screen and roll a lot. He moves very well. He's um, great footwork. He's not the most physical guy in the world. Um, but his footwork allows him to kind of dance around some defenders in the post. He's really good at finding the open spot, um, kind of the soft spot in the defense on the roll and catching it and scoring on the roll directly. Um, he can obviously finish around the rim when he's shooting almost 70 for 70%, but you got to wait, got to try to take away the dunks and layups uh, from him, make him score with you between him and the basket. Don't let him get those easy ones because he's, he's good enough that they will throw it to him in the post and he's going to make some tough moves and score with hook shots and things like that. So you just got to try to limit the, the easy ones that he gets on the roll. Um, definitely left hand or, excuse me, left shoulder, right hand in the post. He really wants to finish with his right hand to wall up, be physical, try to make him score that back into you with his right hand. Um, and then he's a, he's a much better finisher than he is free throw shooter. Uh, so foul if you're beat, don't give up any and ones. Um, but if you feel like you're beat on the roll or if he, gets you on a quick drop step, wrap him up, try to foul, um, and and see if he can make two free throws because more times than not, um, that's not going to work out for him. So that's your Florida Gators starting five. Um, It's also worth mentioning um, backup point guard Tyree Appleby. Um, He's a dynamic scoring point guard transfer from Cleveland State. Um, He averaged a bunch of points um, out there the last couple of years, but he's a 6'1", 170-pound junior. So far this year, coming off the bench, playing almost 24 minutes a game, he's averaging 8.9 points um, and three assists per game. He's really dynamic with the ball. Got to be ready to stop him in transition, get the ball stopped. Um, Might take two guys to kind of help corral him. Um, He's more of a driver than a shooter. Um, He is six for 19 from three, but it's not what he wants to do. He would rather get to the basket, um, finish with a little floater or jump shot or get all the way to the rim. So make him score with you between him and the basket. No layups. He's super quick, but he's also small. I think if we can use our length and athleticism, we can make him have a hard time scoring over top of us. Um, but obviously, if we give up a, if we get smoked on a closeout, on a bad closeout, or let him get to his right hand all the way to the rim, um, those are the ones he's going to finish, and those are the types of layups that we need to really take away from him today. Um, but Florida's going to keep the rotation pretty tight. Um, they're going to play about eight guys. Um, they're Omar Payne, a backup big man, he'll get in there. Then usually Quez Glover, another backup guard. Probably can expect to see him a little bit, but 
Um, you know, it's, it's really a seven-man rotation. It'll extend to eight. Um, you might even see a ninth guy thrown in there. But, you know, major minutes is going to be seven guys that play 15 minutes or more. Um, and then Quez Glover, like I said, will be the eighth man um, as a as a fourth guard um, if and when they need him. But that's really what you need to know about the Florida Gators. Um, when it comes to what I want to see from Kentucky tonight, um, I just want to see continued improvement offensively. Uh, I've been harping on it for a while now. You know, we, we came out against Moorhead State, looked pretty good offensively. A lot of that was because we were playing Moorhead State. After that point, we hadn't scored more than 64 points in regulation until the Vanderbilt game when we put up 77. 77 is a great number. If we can score 77 points tonight, I think we're going to win the game. Uh, Florida's pretty good offensively, and they, and they can really um, put up some points. They're, they're averaging over 81 points per game, but they're also um, not necessarily the best defensive team in the, in the country. I mean, Scotty Lewis is a pretty dynamic defensive player, mostly because he can play make. He's going to get some steals and block shots. Um, but outside of that, I think we're going to have scoring opportunities on these guys. It's a decent matchup uh, for our offense. It's another game where it's going to be big for Olivier Saar. Um, you know, Colin Castleton is a good post player, but those two guys are pretty similar in the fact that they're they're really skilled. Um, they're skilled on the face-up. Um, Olivier is a much better shooter than Castleton is, but they like to use footwork, kind of play in space in the post as opposed to just really banging down there low on the block. Um, but I think Olivier Sark can have a lot of success. He's going to need to stay out of foul trouble in order to, do, um, in order to find that success. But I definitely want to throw the ball inside to him, play through him tonight. Um, and then just see our guys be, be aggressive off the dribble, be aggressive shooting it from the perimeter and, and, and make sure that we can play in the seventies um, because in the SEC, it's going to be really hard playing against good teams to win if you don't get into the 70s because your margin for error is just so low. I, I think Kentucky's good defensively, and I think we'll be able to hold Florida today to a good number as long as we follow the scouting report, take away threes from Noah Locke, um, don't allow uh, Trey Mann, um, Colin Castleton ball screen to, to just kill us time and time again. Um, if we can manage those two things primarily, then – I think we're going to be able to hold them to around 70 points. But if you're trying to win at 65, the, the, the margin for error is just so low. Uh, so if you can get up to 70, 75 points, that's where you start to actually be able to make some mistakes and, and have some lapses in concentration that I harp on when we give up threes to, to shooters or, you know, just you, you're able to screw up a switch when you called it out, but your teammate didn't curious and then Colin Castleton ends up with a dunk on a pick and roll you know those things happen over the course of the game but when you're scoring 65 you know it stinks but they can't happen when you score 75 okay we have room for for a couple lapses that are just generally going to happen over the course of a basketball game so I really want to see our offense um, play to the level that it did against Vanderbilt Uh, most importantly I, I love that we were running real offense against Vanderbilt we had several set plays that we went to to get buckets, we were running some screening actions to get the ball inside to Olivier Saar. Um, we obviously saw an excellent play call late to get Davion Mintz that three. If we run offense against these guys, we're going to have scoring opportunities, and our guys are talented enough to finish those plays. So that's what I want to see tonight, um, and I think that will lead to another SEC victory. And this is going to be the one where 
If we beat Florida at Florida today, people are going to start talking about, hey, like, is Kentucky turning a corner? Are they a team to um, that's going to have to be dealt with in the SEC? But you know, Kentucky is a tough stretch coming up, and and starting that tough stretch off with a win is, is going to be huge because when you have your back against the wall at one and six, man, like you just got to win games. You got to rack up W's so that that there's no game at this point that we can afford to lose. Now, I, I don't think we're going to run the table and go 18 and 0 in conference play, uh, but we got to win every single game that we can, and we got to keep racking up those W's and that. That is certainly true again tonight down in the swamp. Um, so, as always, thank you for listening. Um, please give us a download um, on on Apple Music or Apple Apple Podcasts. Um, also, leave us a review. The reviews keep coming in very positively. A lot of five star reviews. Um, I certainly appreciate that. So please giving please continue to give as much feedback as you would like. Um, download the podcast. Share it with your friends so we can continue to grow the audience. Um, also give me a follow on Twitter at B Ramsey KSR. I'll be posting this uh, probably around 10 o'clock this morning. Um, so you'll have plenty of time to listen to it before tip off, but also as always um, at B Ramsey KSR on Twitter, I will be breaking down Florida uh, throughout the day with some more personnel specific things. I'll also be posting some video clips of them offensively. So you can visualize some of the things that I talked about here on the podcast and everybody should be ready to go come five o'clock tip off um, for the Florida Gators. So again, thanks for listening and go cats.